people are taking, you know, five classes at once that are all different topics, where when you're working in a professional company, you typically only work at one thing. And you have to learn how to become, rather than a jack of all trades as a student, I'm a master craftsman and perfect something that you're working on. Welcome to From the Dorm Room to the Boardroom, a podcast where we provide insights, tips, and inspiration for college students and young professionals so they can make a really successful transition from college life to the professional world and beyond. My name is Andy Malinsky, and I'm your host. I'm also a professor of organizational behavior and international management at Brandeis University's International Business School, where we record and produce this podcast. Okay, so today's guest is Paul English. Paul is the co-founder of five software companies, Lola.com, Kayak.com, Get Human, Boston Light, and Intermute. And he's also the founder of three nonprofits, summits.org, kingboston.org, and winterwalkboston.org. Paul, thanks so much for being with us. Sure, it's great to be here. So let's... um. Let's hear a bit about your story. Um, uh, I know you've had a tremendous amount of experience in the entrepreneurial world, uh, but let's rewind. Where did you go to college? What was that like? What did you major in? Uh, tell us a bit about that experience. Yeah, sure. Well, let me just go a little bit back before that. I went to Boston Latin High School. I grew up in West Roxbury. But uh, before Boston Latin, I switched school every year to, I think, Today, you would say ADHD. I'm not sure they quite had that term back when I was in school um, in the 70s and 80s. I went to Boston Latin. It was a good school. I didn't do well as a student, but was not sure if I was going to go to college or not. I actually only really applied to one college and got rejected, which is Boston College. And then last minute, so I was thinking maybe I would just work. I was a self-trained programmer, and maybe I would just get a job. But my, my parents found out I could go to any state school for free because they aced my SATs. So I always test well on standardized tests, even though like I didn't do well in school. Um, so I went to UMass Boston. I studied music and computers. On the music side, I ended up writing arrangements for like a 15-piece jazz band, which was really fun. I played a few different instruments. But I studied computer science and ended up getting my degree in that. I worked almost full-time for most of my years at UMass. I worked as a programmer and I would switch jobs every year or a year and a half just to try to continue to work on my breadth of engineering background. Okay, that sounds really interesting. And so then what was your first, what was your mindset like and what, what was your um, experience like right as you finished college and started you know, your, your, your professional journey? It's funny, all within one month, I got, after my bachelor's degree, I was working full-time as a programmer. And then I went immediately into getting my master's degree and in computer science. And within a month, I remember I bought a house, I got married, I got my master's degree and began a new job. So was pretty, I guess I would say prolific as a programmer back then. I was working hard. I worked for the Air Force. I worked for a company called Hemanetics, building blood machines. I did accounting software. I did video game development. I have a brother who's kind of a famous game program. I did work for him for a couple of years. My first real job out of college after I got my master's degree 
was a document management company in Cambridge called Interleaf. It's a company that later got sold to Broadvision kind of at the beginning of the web. And I ended up working there for six years, most of it as a programmer. But then when I was done there, I think I was head of engineering. And at one point, I actually ran marketing as well. But that was my lot, my first and only job as an employee. And then after that, I've been doing a string of startups. Now, how did you get into that? So you were an employee. I mean, to, to tell us about your first sort of entrepreneurial startup venture, because I mean, you've, how does someone even get into that mindset? I mean, nowadays in 2018, I think it's pretty easy because it's, it's so easy to do. There's so many out there. Um, it's almost like a rite of passage. But what you're, I think in the days you're talking about, it wasn't so much the case. So can you tell us about how you kind of got into that? Actually, there's one of the jobs, it's funny that I forgot about it for a second. After Interleaf, I got recruited away to an internet startup called Netcentric. And we're a VC-backed startup in Cambridge. And I was hired to run engineering there. It was a 10-person company. And then we grew, I don't remember how many employees we had, maybe 50 by the end of my first year there. And then I left after one year. And I've joked with the founder of the company who I've met recently that my memory is that he fired me. His memory is that I quit. I'm not sure which memory is more accurate, but after a year I left, you know, with a little bit of turmoil that the founder and I had some disagreements on how to manage teams and all that. And I remember leaving then and feeling like a failure that I was very successful at Interleaf there for six years of, you know, progressive promotion and all that. And then ultimately failed at this startup. And I left thinking, you know, I don't know if I should be into management, if I should be programming. And I built a website. I spent a year with no income working on that website. That led to the creation of my first real company, which was an e-commerce company, Boston Light, that I ended up selling to Intuit. But it really started from building my own game site as a way for me to get back into hands-on engineering. And did you, when you started building that game site, did you have the I guess, how would I say it? Did you have the sense that it was going to grow into a business and so on? Or were you just sort of doing it for some other motivation? Initially, I was very intrigued. This goes back to 1997. And I was intrigued with playing games on the web. And there were not a lot of great game sites back in 97. And so I really wanted to push the envelope to create very interactive, generates email addresses, web pages. We can go and replay games a chat discussion forum where with this moderation and banning of people that are inappropriate, run tournaments, run uh, games where internet connections going up and down all the time. So work well with connectivity problems. And Yahoo actually came after me after about a year and looked at acquiring my little two-person company and they wanted me to run Yahoo games. I ended up turning that down because my, I was married at the time and my wife did not want to move to California, which is ultimately what Yahoo wanted me to do. But I guess initially, as far as goals, I would say my goals were to build a really great game and get a lot of people playing it. I wasn't thinking so much about the business. Hmm. Interesting. And then, and then from there, you've, you've had a string of startups, as you said. I mean, the one, as, as a layperson, not in that world, the one that I'm most familiar with is Kayak. Um, was that is that one that's later on, or can you just tell us a bit about the a, b- a bit about yeah. your experiences? Hit some of the highlights, some of your you know sort of, sort of behind the curtain, what it was like for you, and so on. I mean, after Boston Light, 
company I sold to Intuit. I served then as VP technology for Intuit for a few years. I co-founded a company with my brother, Ed English, and that was called Intermute. And we built security software. We ended up selling that to Trend Micro. And Ed was the CEO of that company. I was a director and I also built an engineering team focused on one product that I designed to do um, spam filtering. It was a successful product. Um, so that was my second one. I did that with my brother, who himself is a successful entrepreneur. And then after working at Intuit and after developing products for Intermute, I took a little bit of time off to take care of my dad. My mom had passed away. My father had Alzheimer's. So I helped take care of him. And then ultimately, after my father passed away, I went, let me see, I went on a trip to Haiti because I was interested in giving money away that I had made in selling my company. And on the way back, I remember when my plane landed at Logan, I thought, I want to make a lot of money so I can help more people. And I called a friend of mine, Bill Kaiser at Greylock, and said, you know, I sold my last company, did really well. I want to create another company and really kind of swing for the fences. He set up an office meet Greylock as an entrepreneur in residence. And I looked at some deals for them and then ultimately ran into Steve Hafner, who had the original idea for Kayak. And he and I decided in December of 2003 to start that company together. And I then spent 10 years working with him. And I was responsible for the design and building of the website and the mobile app. And it turned out to be a pretty good success. Let's look back from college. You talked a bit about college. You even talked about Boston Latin. What do you think you learned in college or in high school that, that sort of, or even just growing up, that's um, been an asset to you today? I'm sure it wasn't the Latin you learned, or maybe it was a Latin, or I'm not even sure. Did you learn Latin? <laughs> what, what, I did, what? I did <laughs> learn Latin. But I have to put that to you, Yeah. <laughs> right. I one of seven children, so a family of nine. And we grew up in a, I think I probably like a three bedroom house, one bathroom, small house. And growing up in tight quarters made me very focused on who's around me and who's doing well today, who's upset, you know, kind of like family dynamics. And that was drilled into me for the 18 years I lived at home. And that has caused me to think quite a bit about teams, you know, what's working well on a team, what's not working well. So I think that programming of me started as a child and then as far as at school at UMass one of the coolest things about UMass Boston it's a really diverse student body and a lot of international a lot of people of different ages different races and I learned about how to build teams where people come from very different backgrounds and that has been really useful to me. Mm, interesting. What what did you ever get any advice earlier in your career, you know, that that maybe you you didn't take but but you wish you did or even advice that that turned out to be really instrumental and helpful? Just I'm curious about the role of advice and maybe even mentoring. Yeah. One thing I wish I had gotten stronger mentoring when I was programming and making the transition from programming into management was words matter. And they say you only have one chance to make a first impression. And looking back at my career, I know that when I was sort of like a hotshot programmer and then director of engineering and VP of engineering, I was very impatient. I wanted everything immediately. I was really picky about quality, the user experience, the quality of the code. 
And I was probably a little rough with people that I perceived to not be fast or whatever. And I look back and I regret that. And I wish I had been more of a mentor and coach than a critic. So I would encourage people early in their careers, if you're really strong at your craft, don't just become a critic to people that you perceive as not as strong, but become a coach. Hmm, interesting. That's that's that's. I like that piece of advice. How about um, how about misconceptions that that you think college students have entering the workplace? You know, there's, I you know, as as a professor, I see college students all the time, and there's a big gap leaving the culture and world of college, the culture and world of being a professional. What do you think they're missing uh, on uh, in terms of what what they're anticipating and what the reality is? I think a couple of things. One is the value of teams. And when you leave academia and go in to work at a professional company, you live or die based on the success of the team around you, not based on your own performance per se. So making sure that people are really tuned to what's working and what's not working and looking for coaching and mentoring and how to improve team dynamics is something that's really critically important. I think the most important skill for people to develop early in their careers. And then the second thing is at school, people are taking, you know, five classes at once that are all different topics where when you're working in a professional company, you typically only work at one thing and you have to learn how to become rather than a jack of all trades as a student, I'm a master craftsman and perfect something that you're working on. And rather than having assignments which take weeks as to do as a student, you're going to work on things to take months, if not longer. And really having the tenacity and stamina to perfect something with a team over several months or quarters or years. And that's a very different feel than working in the academia. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I hear, I, I really want to dig in just for a second bit more on that, on your last point there, because I, I do hear a lot of um, professionals give different opinions on the idea about whether you want to become a generalist early on or whether you want to become a specialist. And it sounds like from your work experience, it really has been an asset to you to become a specialist in terms of your craft and your expertise. Is that something that you recommend young people focus on? Yeah, I do think, you know, if people ultimately want to start their own company or go into management, that's great. But I would start your career on becoming a phenomenal individual contributor on a team and trying to make that team successful. You know, I think looking to sports, great coaches can help advise you on how to participate on a team inside a company. I like the Patriots, I like the, you know, do your job, be really good at your job, and everyone knows what their job is. I liked when, I remember when I went to the first Tom Brady Super Bowl in New Orleans in 2002, I loved how St. Louis announced their players one at a time when they went out to the field, and it was time for the Patriots, they said, and the New England Patriots, and they all ran up the field together, where... What Belichick is saying is we live or die as a team. It's not really the individual. So you need to do your job as an individual and make sure you're productive as a member of that team. But the success is the success of the team. And having that balance where you must be successful as an individual, beginning of your career, become really good at whatever your craft is, but do it to propel a team forward. 
I love that. I'm from Boston as well, and I'm a huge Patriots fan, so it rings true. <laughs> One last question for you. Um, now, if you could go back in time, if you had a little time machine, and you could um, sort of talk to your the 20-year-old version of yourself, or 19 or 20, whatever it is, you know, that, that version of yourself, I guess that was at UMass, and you know, considering what to do next, and about to embark on a career, knowing what you know now, what might you, you know, hypothetically tell your early, the early version of yourself back then? I think I would, I mean, I'll read it a couple of things I said a few moments ago, which is your words matter and try to become a coach, not a critic is really important. Focus on the team output and also look for mentors and learn from them. Yeah. Like, like, uh, in, in any, any suggestions about how to find a mentor? I know I know you can't just go up to someone and say, you know, hey, can you be my mentor? <laughs> Is there any 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 tips on that? I think it's always networking, going to events. Also, your current company, try to figure out who are the strongest people at your company. And it, just looking for who are the highest performing people around you and trying to successfully get time from them. And I've never said to someone, can you be my mentor? But when there's someone who's really impressive to me, I try to get just a little bit of time with them. And to make sure that time is valuable for the, that person as well. And then if that discussion goes well, I'll try to get time for them again. And just try to re- keep connecting with them on more and more things that you're trying to learn. That's great. Thank you so much. This has really, really been insightful. And I want to thank you so much for your time today. Uh, if, if people want to learn more about you and all the neat companies and nonprofits you've started, where can they go? Um, yeah, I mean, if you just Google me, you'll find my website. My website is just my name, fallenglish.com. Excellent. I've already been there. I've checked it out. Awesome stuff there. Paul, thanks so much for being with us today. All right. Thanks a lot. Bye now. Thank you for listening to From the Dorm Room to the Boardroom. If you're interested in learning more about the work that I do and helping people step outside their comfort zones and transition successfully into the professional world, please visit my website, www.andymolinsky.com. That's A-N-D-Y-M-O-L-I-N-S-K-Y.com. And also feel free to email me directly at andy at andymolinsky.com with any feedback or ideas for guests for future podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Brandeis University's International Business School. By teaching rigorous business, finance, and economics, connecting students to best practices, and immersing them in international experiences, Brandeis International Business School prepares exceptional individuals from around the globe to become principled professionals in companies and public institutions worldwide. Thank you so much for listening.